When we identify uh, what is causing us fear, instead of seeing that it dwells in all of us, unscrupulous leaders tend to point to the beast out there, whether it's south of the border or around the corner in the mosque or around the corner in the synagogue and tend to manipulate people's fears and in so doing cause much of what creates divisions between us. So that is a truly powerful human instinct to divide as a way of gaining power. This is Beliefs, an exploration of ideas behind the news of religion. I'm Bill Baker. My conversations with Reverend Chloe Breyer, just after these headlines from Religion News Service. From Religion News Service, with these headlines, I'm Jay Woodward. A special session of the United Methodist Church voted to strengthen the denomination's ban on the ordination and marriage of LGBTQ people. Delegates to the General Conference, the global denomination's decision-making body, passed the so-called traditional plan by a vote of 438 to 384. Passage of the traditional plan left both its supporters and opponents alike worried about the future of the nation's second-largest Protestant denomination and raises the possibility of a large split in the general congregation. Three bishops from the Episcopal Diocese of New York have written an open letter to their clergy and parishioners to protest a request by the Archbishop of Canterbury. The Archbishop requested two American gay bishops not bring their spouses to the Anglican Communion's Lambeth Conference in July of 2020. All three New York bishops have decided to attend, citing their wish to maintain a voice for the Diocese of New York at the conference regarding sexuality and the inclusion of LGBTQ people. The most senior Catholic cleric ever charged with child sex abuse has been convicted of molesting two choir boys in Australia. Cardinal George Pell, Pope Francis's top advisor and the Vatican's economy minister, received a unanimous verdict in December of 2018. The court had forbidden the publication of details until this week. The jury convicted Pell of abusing two 13-year-old boys whom he had caught swigging sacramental wine in a rear room of Melbourne's St. Patrick Cathedral in late 1996 and also of indecently assaulting one of the boys in a corridor more than a month later. Pell had maintained his innocence throughout, describing the accusations as vile and disgusting conduct that went against everything he believed in. The allegations of sexually inappropriate words and actions against founder of Willow Creek Community Church Bill Hybels are credible. That's according to an independent group of Christian leaders advising the church. Heibel's alleged behavior, directed mostly at women connected to the Chicago-area megachurch, took place at various points during his more than four decades of leadership. Heibel's has publicly and privately denied allegations of misconduct, according to the report. After Heibel stepped down, the church's elders admitted that he had sinned and called on him to apologize. All the church elders and Heibel's successors eventually resigned over their handling of the issue. And Jewish and Muslim communities in Belgium are seeking to overturn a recent ban on the ritual slaughter of animals they say is discrimination cloaked in an animal protection mantle. More than 50 religious groups have lodged complaints with the county's constitutional court in the hope of repealing the new legislation. The Muslim halal and Jewish kosher rituals require that animals should be in perfect health when they are slaughtered by having their throats slit and their blood drained. Under a new law, animals will have to be rendered unconscious or stunned before being killed, a method that animal rights activists argue is more humane. 
for Religion News Service. I'm Jay Woodward. You're listening to Beliefs from Religion News Service. I'm Bill Baker. The Reverend Dr. Chloe Breyer is Executive Director of the Interfaith Center of New York. The organization is a nationally recognized innovator in sparking collaboration among faith leaders. Their mission is to tackle and overcome prejudice, violence, and misunderstanding. To understand the challenges that face an organization with this kind of mandate, especially in these politically charged days, I asked Reverend Chloe Breyer to sit with us and tell us about how the landscape is changing for her work. Chloe, tell us about your work, particularly how it deals with what I call the human stain of people disliking other people simply because of their belief system. Thank you so much, Bill. I um, direct something called the Interfaith Center of New York that works with grassroots religious leaders from different faith traditions all around uh, the city of New York, a very diverse city with over 163 languages in the public school systems. And in parts of the city like Flushing, you have uh, more than 50% of the people from overseas, uh, born overseas. And I um, focus on a day-to-day level about how do we give civics training for grassroots religious leaders and help them understand that their responsibilities are not simply to their own religious community, but to a wider community that incorporates people of all different faith backgrounds. And here in New York, that's particularly, particularly uh, important. When we saw what happened recently with the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, I think you're reminded or we're reminded of how easy it is to uh, really destroy and tear apart work that has taken so long to uh, trust or, or threads of trust that have built up over time between different communities. And part of this, I think, has to do with that very, as you say, the human stain, which I think can well be understood to to mean as it did in Lord of the Flies, which I read recently because my son was assigned it for school, that when we identify uh, what is causing us fear, instead of seeing that it dwells in all of us, us. Um, as one of the children points out, the beast is, is, is probably within us, you know, and, and all of us are capable of, of horrible actions. Instead, um, unscrupulous leaders tend to point to the beast out there, whether it's south of the border or around the corner in the mosque or around the corner in the synagogue and tend to manipulate people's fears um, uh, and in so doing um, cause much of what creates division between us. So that is a truly powerful human instinct to divide as a way of gaining power. And, you know, we just work day in and day out. I don't think it's rocket science, but we have to keep building um, connections of trust across religious boundaries in order to counteract that. We know the Jewish people have been the subject of so much pain and hate over millennia. Uh, But you're also an expert on uh, Islam and uh, and Islamophobia. Can we talk about that? Is that getting better or worse? Gosh, I think that uh, we, you know, there have been since 9-11, it's certainly true that much of the work uh, to help uphold religious freedom, to make sure the balance between um, security and civil rights doesn't tilt too far from security at the expense of a single group of 
of um, religious or other minorities. It's been a struggle for the Muslim community for so uh, so much, since particularly since 9-11, but also before then a bit. And to me, the comparable um, example of the, the types of struggles that the you know, Muslim communities of New York and the, uh, the country have been through really looks, if we look back a sort of century and a half, to the way that Roman Catholics were vilified in the 1830s and 40s, where you had a kind of comparable um, vitriolic, uh, you know, attacks on the, what was then a new immigrant community and a sense, you know, you have Samuel Morse, who is the inventor of the Morse Code and a professor at NYU saying that there should be religious freedom for every tradition except for the Roman Catholics, because they are uh, they are beholden to a power outside our borders. In other words, their power, their loyalty to the Pope is greater than their loyalty to their country. And, um, I, and I can't tell you the number of times I've heard that fear that Islam is uh, loyal to somewhere else besides the United States um, in the critiques that you see of, of Islam this, these days in the United States. So this evil kind of just keeps going on and on, repeating itself and repeating itself. But you and your organization, the Interfaith Council, and other uh, similar groups all over the world are trying to fight this, are trying to combat this. Uh, what are some of the techniques that you use? Well, I think that, again, part of the thing, you can say that it's it's – uh, the look at the dark side of its repeating itself. But uh, the other way to look at it is that it has always been a struggle. And it is, uh, you know, particularly in this country, since our, you know, since the founding of, uh, you know, the, the, um, the, you know, white settlers came to the United States, there was not only the persecution of Native Americans, also of Quakers. And, you know, you name the group, it came next, but always also there were the forces of of um, of unity that said we have to see these differences as a strength as opposed to, and I think in a concrete way, what we do at the Interfaith Center with um, civics training for grassroots religious leaders, that's super important because at least in New York, you have to know your way around the city in order to get things done both for your community and also for other people's communities where your interests align. And that's why we have, you know, everybody from Buddhist to Mormon to Muslim religious leaders um, hearing from the Mayor's Office of Immigrant Affairs or the NYPD Hate Crime Task Force just to do these kind of introductions to the, you know, the mechanics of city government and civic um, education and then um, see where these people take it. Like that's, that's, a, that's our approach, basically. Would you say in some ways being in this great city, huge city of New York with millions of people uh, and, and thousands and hundreds of religions uh, and cultures, that that's harder or easier? I mean, is, is it really a good melting pot to be able to experiment and do this, the kind of work you do to unify people? I think that the opportunity that being in New York gives us is that we, when we when we do our local work, it has national and international implications. It's often that we see, uh, you know, we have, for example, in Staten Island, the largest group of um, 
Liberians outside of the country. And when the Liberian Truth and Reconciliation Commission came about, that when under Sir Susan Johnson Sirleaf, you had you know people living in the same housing blocks on Staten Island testifying um, about you know their experiences in the Liberian Civil War, and then you know down the hall from either a child soldier or from the victims of a child soldier, and all it took was it was here in New York City. So I don't think it's a given that just because we have a really diverse city that that naturally means that people will automatically go, get along. I think uh, that um, you know diversity always takes work and takes commitment and takes engagement. It's not a static um, thing. I think we we work to engage one another, and I think we have a good practice of that in New York City. When uh, when you look at the, the kind of community that you work in here, uh, what are the most difficult challenges you have? And are you able to work with the mainline religions? Uh, you know, there's so many religions, but kind of where are the mainline religions in all of this? I think some of the challenges that, that we have are around... Um, geopolitics and you know particularly obviously the Middle East is something that has you know divided communities all over the world and that's true in New York as well when we look uh, a little wider than that particularly when there's uh, you know some kind of incursion in Gaza or you know something happens that brings the Middle East conflict up into the headlines again you see people shying away from each other, even though they're dealing with other issues completely than that. So that's one big, um, what's, that's one concern or struggle. The um, Regarding the mainline traditions, I think that there's a lot of interest. I'm an Episcopal priest, and in the Episcopal Church here in New York, there's a lot of interest in getting to know the neighbor. You know, their neighbors, I've had many parishes say, I'd really like to get to know who, find out who my Muslim neighbors are, how do I do this, and and um, there's a real sense of curiosity, likewise with Lutheran and Methodists and other other traditions. So, you know, I think that they're um, apart. There may not be sort of growing as fast as other, you know, the Pentecostal or or um, Muslim traditions that you know are are have a big participation um, in their houses of worship. I, I would say still there are, they're a very good force for hospitality, as it were, um, in New York, so. A last question, and that is, do you have hope? These are tough, tough issues that have been around for millennia. Do you have hope that you can really make some progress in this area? You know, I actually do have hope because I feel that in the long run, uh, what has made our city and our country a a um, a source of of inspiration is the energy, the newness, the sense of possibility that people have um, if and when you know they are able to come here, particularly from areas of the world where there has been um, such you know, where they have been tortured or persecuted. And um, so to me, actually, one of the worst things that's happened in this last administration is the cap on refugees. That's just been, I mean, more than almost anything else, a real um, nightmare and force against the kind of values that we're striving for at the Interfaith Center. I think also um, 
when you look around at kind of what is it that most communities want, they're just not so different. Everyone wants a sense of security, a sense of belonging, a sense of um, uh, you know contribution, having their basic needs met, their children educated, and the ability for some sort of social mobility. And that is, you know, that just seems to be such a common thread. I, I know that we go often. My colleague, Dr. Um, Henry. Uh, Goldsmith, um, who does the uh, edu- some of the education programs at the Interfaith Center, he often begins his um, course or class on religious diversity in New York by handing out the alternate side parking exemption rules, and um, you know using that as a kind of diagram of which uh, religious communities have sort of, you know come on to the scene, as it were, if you have enough um, you know, political power to get an alternate side parking day for Diwali or both Eids or, uh, you know, um, uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, that points to, uh, you know, where you are in, in terms of your ability to get things done in New York. And um, it's also a practical question that I think um, we, again, share, you know, sh- how, it points to how much we share in common when it comes right down to it. So, Talking about that, there's a sweet story that my wife tells me that uh, she was with a, a pretty important elderly Catholic nun who uh, pulled her car up in front of the Empire State Building in rush hour and uh, put a piece of paper on her dashboard and got out and parked it and got out. And my wife said, you can't park here in rush hour in front of the Empire State Building. She said, but this piece of paper, I can park anywhere. They came back three hours later, and her car was still sitting there. So there, so that's that kind of power that, that you were talking about, a, a, an old Catholic nun who obviously was very wired <laughs> wired to the system. Uh, we, we, talk about, we talk about difficult times. In many ways, it feels to me, a person who's lived for many years, that um, these are the worst of times. Do you think they are, or, or, or do you think maybe they're actually getting better and we're just starting to look at things a little bit more intently? No, I, I share your, your belief that, at least in my lifetime, I've never seen anything so blatantly threatening to kind of the fabric of, of what our shared assumptions or what I think of as our shared assumptions that are articulated in the Constitution and Declaration of Independence. Uh, the kind of callous um, nature of uh, and casual sort of manipulate, you know, d- destruction of human rights that we see in the immigration and customs enforcement as people are detained for, uh, you know, unbelievably long periods of time with their children that we, um, some of the most, you know, basic uh things of, of, of decency that seem to be really of a optional nature um, for this administration. And likewise, uh, the just the, the really, you know, the lies and the terrible quality of public discourse. I can't ever remember, um, you know, hearing something like this. And there are certainly echoes of uh, what's going on in earlier administrations, but nothing is as blatantly, um, you know, threatening to the kind of fun foundations 
of uh, political institute and other institutions that you know we've relied on as a country for so long. So, what do we do? We do what you're doing, right? You just pick away at it a little bit at a time. Um, no, I think I'm. I mean, I'm describing in 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 my work how we we understand what we're doing. But for across the board, we do what we did yesterday. Uh, we did, you know, on the um, in the midterm elections, we vote. You know, we vote. We get our neighbors to vote. We continue to knock on doors. We take as active a role in public life as we possibly can. And that's always been an option um, when, you know, in my mind growing up, but now it's a necessity. So perhaps that's the, the big difference. And maybe that's the good news yeah. in all of this. Reverend Dr. Chloe Breyer, the Interfaith Center of New York, thank you. Thank you, thank you so much. Our guest was Reverend Dr. Chloe Breyer of the Interfaith Center of New York. The conversation continues on our Facebook page, and we tweet at Beliefs Podcast. Whatever you think of us, come review or comment on our website, religionnews.com slash beliefs. Beliefs is brought to you with the support of the Bernard L. Schwartz Center for Media, Public Policy, and Education at the Graduate School of Education at Fordham University. Jonathan Woodward is our producer. The theme music is by Edward Willis. I'm Bill Baker. Thanks for listening.